0: Story five of Jack and the Checkbook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jack and the Checkbook by John Kendrick Bangs. Story five, The Invisible Cloak. I am very sorry, sir," said the janitor as he turned off the heat and disconnected the electric lights. "Tain't me as is doing it. It's the owner of the building. He says the rent ain't been paid for six months." and while he ain't hard-harded enough to turn nobody out on the street such weather as this he don't see no use in dandlin tenants what don't pay in no lap o luxury jack looked at the man in silence completely stunned by this new development in a situation already sufficiently distressing let me enjoy all the pleasures of the roof mike says he continued the janitor but no wooin' of his beauty-sleep to the soft music of the steam-radiator, nor electric lights to cheer the dark places of his spirit when twilight comes. It's the land of the midnight sun for his, till I see the colour of his bank-account. "'But I shall freeze if you turn off the heat,' protested Jack. "'That's the answer, I guess,' returned the janitor. "'It's a pretty cold snap we do be having.' Jack buried his face in his hands and groaned things had gone ill for the unhappy lad for a long time now and the sudden precipitation of winter weather found him practically penniless for one reason or another no one seemed to care for his poetry and his last story from the proceeds of which he had expected to make enough to tide him over for a little while at least had been returned by every editor in town it's mighty sorry for you i am said the kindly janitor his heart stirred by the pitiable picture of suffering before him i would be after leaving things as they are, if I did. "'But the old man's orders—' oh, "'I know, I know,' said Jack wearily. "'But it's awfully tough, just the same. "'I can get along without food, "'but without light and heat I don't see how I can do my work.' "'I'll lend ye a candle, sir,' said the janitor. "'That'll help some. "'You can warm your hands over the flame of it "'while you're doing your thinking, "'and it'll give you light enough to put down "'what ye think in between times.' "'Good old Mike!' said jack wringing the other by the hand warmly when my ship comes in you shall have a good slice of the cargo for that sure and she ain't launched yet is she asked the janitor with a grin and then as jack seemed to have sunk into a dejected reverie he gathered up his tools and left the room an hour passed before the miserable lad even so much as raised his head (sighs) jove it's cold he shivered as he gazed around him the room bathed in the gathering shadows of twilight, and to think that it was only last summer that I was complaining because this place was so infernally hot. His teeth chattered as he spoke, and he suddenly bethought himself of his fur-lined overcoat hanging in the closet, his very last possession, and one he had worn persistently of late, not so much because the temperature of the town required it as to maintain publicly an appearance of prosperity. I'll take one last wear out of you, he said, as he put it on, and to-morrow I'll put you in cold storage at the house of mine uncle. He already has my watch, my scarf-pin, and everything else that I have that is negotiable. He might as well top his collection off with you. The thought that the useful old garment was still good enough to act as a satisfactory bit of security for a temporary accommodation at the neighboring pawn shop cheered him up somewhat and he went out, seeking a comfortable spot where, with his last half-dollar, he could assuage the growing pangs of hunger. As he left the house he noticed that the snow was beginning to fall, so he decided not to go very far afield for his meal. A cheap restaurant halfway down the block, on the avenue, attracted his eye, and he went in and ordered his dinner, twenty-five cents worth of roast beef and a cup of coffee for himself, and the balance to tip the waiter. He ate slowly, though this was not his habit, merely because the place was warm and bright, and as he lingered over his coffee he wrote a sonnet on life on the back of the bill of fare. Then, his account paid, he started back to his apartment. As he left the café, the wheezing notes of a minute hand-organ playing The Good Old time fell upon his ear. It sounded very much like a talking-machine in the last stages of bronchitis, and then suddenly in the midst of a b flat that sounded more like a sneeze than a note a heart-rending picture of misery and desolation smote upon his vision on the corner exposed to all the icy winds that blew up the avenue and over the cross-streets from the river huddled up into a seeming mass of rags over which the falling snow was drifting was the form of an aged woman turning the crank of a battered and broken organ with fitful twists of her poor blue hands holy smoke cried jack as his eye fell upon the old woman's bent figure and i have been sympathizing with myself for the last four hours in an instant he had whipped off his overcoat the fur-lined coat that had been his only hope for immediate financial relief and had thrown it across the poor old shoulders excuse me madam he said as the old woman stopped grinding the organ to look gratefully up into his face if i had any money i'd give it to you but i'm dead broke myself and i can't help you that way but by thunder i can't stand seeing you freeze oh i cannot take your coat sir the old woman began yes you can said jack if you don't want it as an act of charity let me have a quarter to buy my breakfast to-morrow morning and you can have the coat for the time being i'll rent it to you overnight for a quarter you can return it in the morning I live right across the street at the Redmere. The old woman muttered a scarcely audible word of thanks. Heaven will reward you for this, she began. That's all right, said Jack cheerfully. I'm not looking for dividends of that particular kind. I'll consider it a good bargain if you'll just rent this old horse-blanket for the night for twenty-five cents. Then nobody will be under obligation to anybody else. The old woman smiled even as she shivered, and diving down into the mysterious depths of her ragged garments produced a handful of pennies which she handed to the unexpected philanthropist i will return the coat in the morning she said good night and again the withered hand began to turn the crank and the suffering organ as jack sped across the way to the redmere again began to wheeze as before taking a turn this time at that popular melody there'll be a hot time in the old town to-night poor old hag muttered jack as without removing his clothes he climbed into bed and covered himself in addition with the bath-rug i may be ninety-seven different kinds of an ass but here's to the heart of folly i couldn't let that old creature freeze to death under my very window and warmed by the thought of a kindly deed done he turned over and went to sleep so weary was the poor lad after the troublesome experiences of a day so full of worry that he slept heavily and far into the next morning indeed it required all the elbow power of mike the janitor hammering with his great fist upon the door to awaken him hello there what the dickens do you want cried jack sleepily aroused at last from his slumbers by a thunderous kick upon the door from the janitorial foot it's me sir replied mike oh it's you is it said jack opening the door what's the trouble now "'Orders from the landlord to stop my sleeping?' "'No, sir,' replied the janitor. "'Sure now, I'm just after bringing yous a package left at the door.' "'Confound you, Mike!' growled Jack, with a glance at the clock. "'Nobody can economise with a noise-trust like you around. "'If you had only let me sleep an hour longer, "'I could have saved the price of a breakfast.' "'Well, the lady that left this bundle told me to give it yous, "'without any delay,' returned Mike. "'and when anybody gives me a dollar to get a move on, I'll get it.' "'A lady gave you a dollar to hand this bundle to me?' demanded Jack, incredulously. "'She did that,' said Mike. "'She come driving up in a limey-bean motor-car, and give me the package, "'and told me not to let any weeds grow under me slippers.' Jack rubbed his eyes in astonishment, and gazed wonderingly at the brown paper package. "'What could it be? Certainly not his fur coat.' A limousine car and the lady of the wheezy hand-organ did not seem to go together. In an instant, consumed with curiosity, he tore off the brown paper covering, and found within a white pasteboard box, oblong in shape and tied up with blue ribbon. Attached to the middle was a note which, upon being opened, revealed the following message to Jack's staring eyes. United States Ferry Company, Wall Street, York, December twelfth, 1910 dear jack i return your cloak herewith with many thanks for your kindness to gratefully j godmother the united states fairy company well i'll be blowed ejaculated the lad as he read the old lady a fairy i don't know about this it has a phony look to me as he spoke he cut the blue ribbon with his penknife and opened the box the mystery instead of being solved now became all the deeper for as far as jack's eye was able to see the box was empty the janitor grinned unsympathetically quite time for an april fool joke he said as he left the room for a few moments jack was as silent as the sphinx and then with a sudden surge of wrath that any one should play such a trick upon him gave the box a kick that sent it flying across the room it landed on a chair the cover fell off and then mystery of mysteries three-quarters of the chair disappeared wholly from sight again jack rubbed his eyes in amazement and slowly like a trapper passing along a forest trail he crept over to where the chair stood and put out his hand to feel for its missing parts in a moment he was reassured as to their existence for he could feel the outlines of the missing sections but something apparently lay across them it was a soft silky material tangible enough, but absolutely invisible. It felt like a cloak, and as Jack passed his hands along its folds, he found that it had sleeves, buttons, buttonholes, and a hood at the back of its collar, not to mention several capacious pockets within. Huh! he ejaculated. "'It feels like an invisible ulster! I wonder!' an idea flashed across his mind acting upon which he seized the cloak and rushed into his bedroom where standing before the mirror on his bureau he put it on buttoning it all the way up to his neck this done he glanced at himself in the glass only his head which had remained uncovered was reflected there well of all he began astounded at the vision before him or rather the lack of it hastily he pulled the hood over his head and immediately as far as the eye could see he completely vanished and then jack knew what had happened the fairy godmother had given him one of the choicest possessions of her kingdom the famous invisible cloak ten minutes later jack found himself passing through the subway gate at forty-second street entirely unobserved by anybody and therefore relieved of the necessity of paying his fare the invisible cloak was doing its duty nobly but a moment later the lad had an example of its dangers as well as of its virtues for as he sat quietly by the door of the car trying to collect his flustered thoughts a very stout german gentleman got aboard the train and sat down heavily upon him he did not stay however but on the contrary with a startled cry of alarm rose up as quickly as he had sat down there's something in that seat already yet he cried to the guard excitedly jack slipped noiselessly out of the seat and the guard after feeling around in it for a second or two turned with scorn upon the astonished teuton and in language of a slightly unparliamentary cast advised him to change his diet you'll be seeing tings next he said jack shook with internal laughter as the amazed son of the rhine sat cautiously down again his face showing a deal of relief to find that his first spooky impression was not correct, all of which for the remainder of the trip downtown he openly expressed with considerable volubility. Finally he was interrupted by the raucous voice of the guard crying, Wall Street! Now Jack had not consciously started out to go to Wall Street, but the announcement of the train's arrival there gave him a thrill. Wall Street, eh? he muttered. Huh! Hmm. He thinks the financial stringency is over if this little coat holds out i seem to detect the odour of money he mounted the steps to the street and wandered aimlessly down the great financial highway until he found himself standing before the gorgeous façade of the famous urban national bank here he paused a moment and curiosity as much as anything else led him to enter its portals and there, within lay spread before his famished financial eyes, separated from his hands only by a slight bit of steel grillwork, countless packages, huge of bulk, of banknotes in all denominations. Any one of which, once in his possession, would serve to put him at ease for the remainder of the year. Monte Cristo himself had no such stores of wealth within his reach in the treasure caves of his wondrous island. The teller behind the grill was counting the contents of his safe and as he bent over to foot up a column of figures, Jack stopped in front of the little window and said, "'Good morning.' He did this not so much for the fun of it as for a precautionary test of his invisibility, for a great scheme had entered his mind. The teller looked up, craned his neck in every direction, and peered around to see who had addressed him. "'There must be something the matter with my nerves this morning,' he said, scratching his head in bewilderment i was sure somebody spoke to me jack had all he could do to keep from laughing outright but safety bade him restrain the impulse and in a moment he had climbed over the steel grill-work and entered the sacred precincts of ready money once within the teller's cage his heart began to thump so violently that it seemed impossible for him to escape detection but so busy were all the bank people with the duties of the day that no one seemed to hear and then our hero began Within five minutes he had stowed away within the capacious pockets of his invisible cloak as many of the packages of bills, green-backed and yellow, as he could possibly carry there, and then, slipping out through the little door at the rear of the cage, he walked calmly out of the bank with them. Arrived on Broadway he removed his coat, and hanging it over his arm, took a taxicab back to the Redmere. He could hardly wait until he reached his apartment to count up the results of his morning's work but his caution stood by him and it was not until he had locked his door and barricaded it with the bureau rolled in front of it that he opened the various packages there were ten of them altogether and jack's eyes nearly popped out of his head with wonder as he saw so much real money spread out before him three of the packages held one thousand dollars each in twenty-dollar bills four of them held five hundred dollars each in five-dollar bills and the other three totaled fifteen hundred dollars in ones and twos sixty-five hundred dollars altogether. "'Mike!' he cried, going to the dumb waiter-shaft, and calling down vociferously, "'Turn on the heat and tell the boss to send a truck around here for his rent.' Hiding the money under the mattress of his bed, Jack removed the invisible cloak and hung it in the closet, taking care to lock the door thereof, and then he started to shave. His hand trembled too much for this, however, and after he had snipped off two or three pieces of his cheek, he abandoned the effort, but his brief trial before the glass had a distinct moral influence upon him, for as his eye caught its own reflection in the mirror, and Jack came to look at himself squarely in the face for the first time since his removal of the money from the bank, he found that he could not do it. His eye faltered and fell, and the question flashed across his mind as to the honesty of his morning's work. "Hm," he muttered, sitting down suddenly on his bed and staring at a hole in the carpet i hadn't thought of that before what would my poor but honest parents think about this he scratched the end of his nose thoughtfully it isn't any too straight even in these days of frenzied finance he went on that is it isn't unless i regard this thing as a loan of course if it's a loan yes it must be otherwise i'm no better than any other his brow cleared as the idea entered his mind i'll make it o k in a jiffy he said he went to his writing-desk and wrote to the cashier of the urban national bank as follows york december twelfth nineteen ten the urban national bank york city dear sir i think it only proper to inform you that unknown to yourself or any other person in your bank i have this morning negotiated a loan with your institution for six thousand five hundred dollars i have a temporary need for this accommodation and in order that the transaction may appear a trifle less informal i beg to hand you herewith my 6 months' note for the amount borrowed together with one hundred and ninety-five dollars in cash to cover discount charges reckoned on a six per cent basis please acknowledge receipt of the same in the personal column of the new york morning gazoo the charming ease and promptness with which this transaction was put through have given me a more than friendly feeling for your bank and now that i have used one package of your money i take pleasure in saying that i shall not only recommend it to my friends but shall hereafter use no other yours friend in need this written john purchased a blank promissory note at a stationery store on the corner and filled it in new york december twelfth nineteen ten six months after date i promised to pay to the order of the urban national bank at the Urban National Bank, New York City. Value received. Both these interesting documents he now enclosed in an envelope, with $195 in bills, sending the whole by special delivery mail to the cashier of the bank. "'There,' said Jack, when he had completed this righteous act, "'I can now look myself in the eye again.' from this time on jack wore his invisible cloak nearly all the time he found it very convenient especially when he wished to go to the theatre or to ride on any of our vehicles of public transportation once he seriously contemplated a trip to europe in it but this was postponed by a sudden important development which called for his attention nearer home while seated in the back of colonel Midas's box at the metropolitan opera house one night listening to the dreamy numbers of la Boheme utterly unobserved of course by any of the other occupants of the box thanks to his magic cloak jack overheard colonel midas engaged in a strenuous conversation with one of his male relatives who had asked the eminent financier for some kind of tip that would make a rich man of him if you'll tell me whether the san francisco omaha and mott haven is going to buy the k t w or not colonel the man had said i can make a million or two of course you could jim said the colonel but I can't tell you now what will be done in that matter. I don't know myself whether we'll buy K.T. and W. or build our own connecting line. We haven't decided. If we do buy, the stock will go jumping up ten, twenty, thirty points at a time. If we don't, the bottom will drop out of it. It's the turn of a hand which way that cat will jump. But I'll do this for you. As soon as I do know, I'll give you twenty-four hours' start with the inside information." We have a secret meeting to-morrow at my office to discuss the matter, and when we come to a definite understanding I'll give you the tip. What I can tell you now is that the new line into Buffalo is going to run through rocky corners, and anybody who gets hold of old Hiram Bumpus's farm up there under a hundred thousand will clear half a million without getting out of bed. "'Why don't you go in and buy it yourself?' demanded the other. "'Because I'm not wasting my grey matter on piking little half-million-dollar deals, that's why.' retorted Midas, with a glance of scorn at his guest. Bursting with this valuable information, Jack immediately left the opera house and dispatched a rush telegram to Hiram Bumpus at Rocky Corners, offering him fifty thousand dollars for his farm. The answer came back the next morning. Price of farm seventy-five thousand cash, no checks taken. Bumpus. To which Jack immediately replied, price satisfactory, will arrive Thursday with money. This done, our hero proceeded to camp on the front doorstep of Colonel Midas, and when that distinguished financier appeared to take his motor down to his office, Jack, still wearing his invisible cloak, climbed in alongside of him, and hardly daring to breathe lest he should betray his presence in the car, rode down to the offices of the Midas Trust Company with the magnet himself here midas descended from the car and jack close upon his heels followed him into that holy of financial holies the private office any word from rockernegie asked the colonel of his secretary as he seated himself at his desk jack meanwhile having perched himself on the mantelpiece here at ten returned the secretary laconically they did not even waste breath in that office money penny wires here ten fifteen Yachting, Mediterranean, leaves all to you. Good, said Midas. When they come, show them in, and I'm out to everybody else. And then it was that Jack had his first glimpse of really great men in action. By ten-thirty, all the magnates of finance, with the exception of Mr. Astorbilt, were on hand, and the secret meeting of the rulers of the San Francisco, Omaha, and Mott Haven Transcontinental Railway System was on. They came down to business without any preliminaries. Is it buy or build? asked Midas. Buy, said Rockernegie. Build, said Moneypenny. All right, we buy, said Midas. It's a hold-up, said Moneypenny. K.T. and W. was built for no other purpose. Perfectly true, said Midas. Therefore, instead of announcing that we shall buy, thus sending the price up till it bumps against the dipper, let us announce that we have decided to build our own connecting line and when K.T. and W. lands down around one and seven-eighths, we can go in and scoop it. Always right, Midas, said Rockerneggy. I'll change my vote and make it unanimous, said Moneypenny, whereupon the colonel passed the cigars, and the meeting stood adjourned. It had taken seven minutes to settle a question involving millions upon millions of dollars, and for a moment Jack stood aghast, but for no longer than a moment, for the time for him to get busy had arrived. He was in possession of the most valuable secret on Wall Street, and it behooved him to begin operations. Passing hastily out of the office, he first paid a visit to the Urban National, where after an hour's hard work he succeeded in getting three hundred thousand dollars out of the vaults, leaving on the cashier's desk while he was out at lunch, as security for his loan, a sufficient amount of gilt-edged collateral, also taken from the vaults of the bank itself. It's all right, Jack wrote in his memorandum to the cashier, I have a big transaction on hand which can't help win out and I shall rejoice your heart by liquidating all my loans with you before spring. After all, my dear sir, all business must be done on confidence and I assure you you can have plenty in me. I know myself through and through and can testify to my absolute integrity. Meanwhile, let me repeat that your money is the best I have ever used and it is received everywhere with real enthusiasm. That night, before he retired, operating through a dozen broker's offices so as not to attract undue attention, Jack purchased five thousand shares of K.T. and W. at twenty, paying for them in cash. The next morning, on the announcement from Colonel Midas's office that the San Francisco, Omaha, and Mott Haven Road had decided not to take over the property, K.T. and W. fell off to ten, at which figure, after a hurried visit to the bank, Jack acquired ten thousand more shares, At the end of the week, K.T. and W. had slumped to three and one eighths, whereat Jack pyramided by taking over twenty thousand more, all paid for in cash, having meanwhile sent his lawyer to Rocky Corners with seventy-five thousand dollars to close his real estate deal with Hiram Bumpus. In the brief period of ten days, the unfortunate tenant of the freezing apartment at the Redmere had become the owner of fifty thousand shares of K.T. and W., as well as the proprietor of a thirty-thousand-acre farm through which a new line of railway was sure to pass. So the campaign went on over the Christmas season. Jack, by following close on the heels of Midas or Moneypenny, it mattered little which, secured inside information as to every deal of magnitude on Wall Street, whole days and even weeks before anybody else knew about it. And having the resources of the urban national to draw upon at need, he was never at a loss how to finance himself. January came, and just as it seemed as if KTW was about to be wiped out of existence, came the report that the property had been acquired by the San Francisco, Omaha, and Mott Haven crowd, and that its stock had been put on an eight percent guaranteed dividend basis. The quotation immediately began to soar. KT&W began to jump like a kangaroo. First it leapt to thirty, then to sixty-eight, on the tenth of january it opened at one hundred and twenty-eight and seven-eighths and closed at one fifty where it stuck for a time jack waited for a further rise but it failed to come and in february he sold one hundred and twenty thousand shares which had cost him on an average of seven dollars a share for one hundred and fifty dollars a share realizing a profit of seventeen million one hundred and sixty thousand dollars reference to his book showed that he had drawn on the urban national for a trifle over one million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars which sum he now started to return in the same laborious fashion in which it had been acquired every day for a period of ten days the lad would put on his invisible cloak and at the cashier's lunch hour would walk into his office and deposit a great bundle of currency on his desk once he found that gentleman and the president of the bank as well awaiting him but it made no difference. Secure in the concealment of his marvellous cloak, Jack stood in the doorway and tossed the package of bills into the room, hitting the astonished president of the bank himself squarely in the stomach with it. In this way complete restitution with interest was made, and on the first of February Jack found himself clear of all obligations, with a comfortable fortune of over fifteen million dollars on his hands which made any further involuntary loans on the bank's part unnecessary. But what was even better than this, the meteoric successes of the young millionaire upon the street, brought him such renown that it was not long before the powers began to take notice. That young man, said Colonel Midas, after watching him for a little while, is the most singularly astute person I ever met. I don't wish to be vulgar, but he has been the nigger in every woodpile I have tackled for six months." He knows what I'm going to do, almost as quick as I do. We'll have to take him in the firm. He has a singularly keen premonition as to values, observed mister Rockernegie. i I've half a mind to start a trust company and make him president. As for Mr. Moneypenny, after a year's experience at finding Jack at the bottom of pretty nearly every scheme he went into, he made the following observation to his daughter, as he pointed Jack out to her at the opera, in his own box now, one night that young man in the third box on the left my dear is young mr jack hardluck he's so keen that i don't even dare think what i'm going to do for fear he'll find out if that's the case papa said miss moneypenny blushing the best thing to do is to take him into the family don't you think you'd better the girl hung her head shyly better what my dear asked the old billionaire kindly give him to me for a christmas present she answered I think i could get to like him very very much and indeed that is how it came to be that in due course of time the young financier became the son-in-law of one of the financial powers of the world as for the invisible cloak jack wears it now only to travel incog which for a multi-millionaire is sometimes convenient incidentally and in conclusion let me add that mike brannigan once the janitor of the redmere is now the owner of that handsome apartment-house Having received the title deeds through the mails from some anonymous benefactor. Oh the devil's sin it I dunno, he said. Nor what for he done it neither. I ain't never done nothing to injure nobody End of the Invisible Cloak